0: Shall we again seek God's face in prayer? Lord God, as we consider the root of the the mercies that we enjoy, as we think about the channels down which that blessing flows, as we consider the expressions of your favour toward us, Lord, teach us by your Spirit what you have done for us and how we might respond to you. Lord, for your grace, for your kindness, for your blessing in the Lord Jesus, we thank you in his name. Amen. Amen. I hope that when you're reading God's word, there are at least some occasions, and perhaps there should be more of them, where you come across words, or phrases, or portions that almost demand that you stop, that you pause, that you ponder, that you wonder, and that you praise. I think if we were perhaps reading more slowly, more carefully, more thoughtfully, more humbly, that that might happen to us more often. Because there are some statements... There are many statements that should stagger us with the, the fact that God has dealt with us in the good way that he has. And there are some that will absolutely beggar our understanding. Times when we should be reading and saying, how can it be that you, my God, should love me, that you, O oh Christ, should die for me? At our best, I think... When we've got to the deepest of such things, we're dipping our toe in the shallows of God's word. What then must the depths be? You know that uh, John in particular uh, has a knack for recording these simple but profound truths that our Lord has spoken. Deep truths from the lips of a loving Christ in the simplest language that in some ways bring those depths very close to us. That's true in the passage that we read earlier, as our Lord approaches the cross. It seems that the closer he gets to his death for his people, the more full of love his heart is. Or if he couldn't be more full of love, the more fully he expresses that love. It seems to rise to the surface as he comes towards the final expression and demonstration of his love. Love for the father, love between the father and the son. Love from the Father and from the Son to the disciples and the love that they then should then have one for another. And so, although they come thick and fast and they're uh, joined together, they flow into one another, you can almost pick out verses from these chapters, from John 13, 14, 15, 16, even then into the prayer of 17, where you simply might stand back and say that the Christ of God, that the Son of God, that the incarnate Saviour should so speak. There's one in John 15 and verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. In my love stop long enough look long enough and you will be lost in the depths of such a statement as the father loved me I also have loved you abide in my love here you have loves marvelous measure as the father loved me loves astounding assurance as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. And then love's compelling command. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Love's marvellous measure, as the Father loved me. The language signals perfection. It expresses The relationship between god the father and christ as the appointed mediator and it's through that prism of the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of the one who has come now into the world to save us that we should uh, view this particular love the father's love for his incarnate son The Father's love for the Messiah, the Mediator, is a love without question. The Father sets his love upon Christ and the Father declares his love for his Son as Saviour without any question and without any doubt. Do any of us question whether or not the Father loves Jesus of Nazareth? You wouldn't dare to doubt that, would you? You wouldn't question or challenge that for one moment. We know that the Father loves the Son who he has sent into the world. The Father loves the Son without beginning. He never began to love him. There is no point before his love is set and settled upon him. We know that before the foundation of the world there was some determination in which the father and the son were were ready to, to love a people and to save them. And in that, the Father delighted in the Son and delighted in him, not just in his nature as his Son, but in his determination to come and to bless. And that shows itself then in the way that the Father speaks of the incarnate Son, the moments when he speaks of the incarnate Son, when he sees him coming up out of the waters of his baptism and declares his love toward him publicly. The love of the father for the son then is without beginning and it is without end. He never ceases to love him. All through his life, even at the very moment of his death, when he's pouring out his wrath upon the son, it is the son of his love whom he is punishing for the sake of his people. The love of the father sustains the son even while the wrath of the Father is poured upon the Son. It is a fixed love. It is an enduring love. It is unshakable. It cannot in any way be be broken or taken away. Then the Father loves the Son without measure. The infinite God loving his infinitely lovely Son. In whom there's no sin, in whom there is all righteousness. Now, what scale will you set up to grasp the infinitude of the infinite love of the the God who is love? How do you even begin to measure that? How do you begin to, to plumb the depths of the love of the Father for his Son? the son of his love, his only begotten son. You cannot grasp what it is for the father to love the son. You cannot somehow ladle that out into a bucket. You can't set some kind of scale against a wall and see how much it has reached. It has no beginning and no end. It is beyond measurement. Its depths are too great for us to plumb. His love is without restraint. Nothing ever hinders the father's love for his son. There's never any holding back of that love. It is most free and it is always active. It's it's gushing from the infinite heart of God, a stream that is always flowing, ever flowing and overflowing toward his son. There's not even a a twig, as it were, that diverts it for a single moment. There's not a, a drop that turns in another direction. It's without change. There's no variation in this love. There's no alteration in the Father's love for the Son. In and through all his darkest moments, there's no sense that at any point the Father's love for the Son diminishes. It is steady. It is absolute for God who cannot change will never change in the object of his love. <clears throat> and then it's a love that without, is without distraction. No one else rivals the son in the father's love for him. There's no intrusion. There's no diversion in this love. There's no deviation. There can be no rivals to Christ In the affections of the father. The father loves the son without question, without beginning, without end, without measure, without restraint, without change, without distraction. And the son always responds with delight in and obedience to his father. The evidence of that relationship for Christ as he makes his way through the world is always that he does the will of his Father who is in heaven. That's how you know that the Son loves the Father and abides in and delights in his love. The Father loves him. The Son knows that the Father loves him. The Son revels in the Father's love For him, he rests in the Father's love for him, he serves because of the Father's love for him, he obeys his Father because he loves him. This is the way that the Father loves the Son. Now, that in itself should make us pause and wonder how can we measure? Calculate, discern, bound, understand, enter into, lay hold of, grasp, contemplate with any sense of accuracy and completeness the love of the infinite God and Father, the God who is himself love for the son of his love. I mean, the very names that the Father uses of the Son, the the relationships that are communicated in those titles, my beloved Son, the Son of my love, these things, how can we enter into that? And yet, this is the measure that gives rise to the assurance. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. The marvellous measure is the foundation upon which the astounding assurance is built. Now, this comparative language introduces a parallel. I do think we need to be careful here. It's not the language of absolute equality. It's the language of genuine resemblance that between the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for his people, there is a a proper and accurate parallel. Christ Jesus is revealed as the mediator of God's love to his own people. Now again, we have to understand that there must be something in here which is unlike Why? Because the father is eminently, sorry, the son is eminently worthy of the father's love. It's the love of, uh, technically the love of complacency. Complacency is, is delight in a delightful object. Some things are lovely and so love is drawn out by them. The Father's love for his Son is a complacent love. There's nothing in Christ to overcome. There's nothing in Christ that ever makes the Father draw back. Christ is utterly worthy of his Father's love. Can that be said of us in relation to Jesus Christ? Are we worthy of the Son's love toward us? No. And yet, our Lord tells us, That the Father's love for him is in some sense a pattern of Christ's love to us. And this is what drives us back to this language of perfection. As the Father loved me, there is a perfection in the Father's love for his Son as the Saviour of his people. And in a similar way, there is a perfection in the love of Christ as mediator for the people whom the Father has sent him to save. And that love seems to come, as we've said, to greater prominence and to greater clarity as the cross grows closer. Now the Lord Jesus, when he thinks about laying down his life for the sheep, views his love as completed and complete. There is nothing more that he could do to show love to his people. The love that he has borne in his heart for them. A love which we should not question because he has set that love upon us. Because he has declared that love toward us. A love that is with us. Without beginning and is without end. A love that cannot be measured because. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And yet here is the God-man who is laying down his life in such a way that the Apostle Paul, with all the penetration of his brain and all the range and richness of vocabulary that is at his disposal, still comes up with that statement that, that it's by the blood of God that we are delivered. It's a love then that has no measure, that is unrestrained, that flows swift and pure and full toward us. A love that has no change in it. Christ does not pull back from his love toward us, no matter how unlovely we are in ourselves. And a love that is without distraction, the faithfulness of the love of the Son toward his beloved people. And as Christ comes to the moment at which that love is going to be fully and finally demonstrated by his sacrifice of himself for our sins. He thinks of the Father's love toward him in all its perfections. And he says that as the Father loves me... So there is in the love that I have for you a parallel perfection, a completeness, an entirety, a a splendor to it. And my friends, we have no more reason to doubt the son's love for us than he had to doubt his father's love for him. You don't read, as the Father loved me, I hope, and say, well, that that cannot be. There are times, I think, perhaps when we we look at the Garden of Gethsemane itself, or even those cries from the cross, and especially the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet we see here the confidence that the Son always has in his Father's love, we're able at least in some small measure to understand how God is always loving his son with this perfect love and so when we read that the father loves the son I don't think there's a one of us that would dare to call into question the reality of that is there what about the son's love for you Christian do you doubt that Do you question that do you sometimes ask is, is is that real why why should we doubt that love for us if the son doesn't doubt his father's love for him because as the father loved me i also have loved you Is there any lack of proof? Is there any shortfall of evidence? Is there any absence of declaration? Is there any note of doubt that ever comes into Christ's heart and mouth when he's speaking of his love toward us? You read his life, read it from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, from John. What is there that you ever read of Jesus Christ that would give you one moment's doubt, one shred or hint of uncertainty in his life? What about his words? Read every word that comes from his mouth. Now, the whole Bible is the word of God. There's a danger, uh, I think most of us will probably have or have seen the the so-called red-letter Bibles, Well, it's all God's truth, but if you want to, have a look at the red letters. Read the actual words that came from the actual lips of the the Saviour when he walked the earth and tell me, is there anything in any of his words that gives any Christian any cause to question whether or not he loves us? And as you read his life, as you hear his words... And especially then as you come up to Jerusalem, you go up with him to Calvary. When you come to the point when the incarnate son of God, the beloved of his father, gives himself into the hands of his enemies and lays down his life for you. Why would you ever doubt that love? As the fists of the soldiers thud into his flesh. As the sneers of the Jews land on his ears. As they pluck at his beard and spit in his face. As the whip cuts into his body. As the cross bears down upon his back. As the nails are hammered into his feet and into his hands as he hangs even in the darkness as he stays where he has been put as his life blood drips from his veins as he groans and cries and speaks what is there in anything that Christ did in his living anything that Christ spoke in his speaking and anything that Christ accomplished in his dying that in any way counters, cuts across this statement, I have loved you. No, no, as the father loved me in all the perfection of his heart of love, I also have loved you. What then should we do? Like the disciples, this compelling command comes to us. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Now, this is not inactive. It's not a passive command in the sense that There's nothing for us to do by way of response. But there is a wonderful comfort in this. We're often warned, aren't we? Don't take it for granted. Now, here's something good, but don't take it for granted. Christ almost comes to the point here of saying, My Father loves me. In similar fashion, I love you. Take it for granted. Abide in my love, believe what I say. Rest upon these things. Take me at my word. He means at least this. First of all, embrace it. Abide in my love. Embrace this love. Believe it. Believe that I have loved you. Look at all the evidence. Look at uh, all the indications and marks of my deep-rooted, perfect divine and human affection for you believe that there is love in my heart for you for some of you that means tonight that you should come to christ for his love it is held out for you it is offered to you you should look at his life you should listen to his words You should consider his death as it's set before you in the scriptures, as it will be set before you as the church gathers for the Lord's table. You should look at the love that Christ has for sinners and you should come to him that you might know it for yourself. You shouldn't doubt him. You should come and rest upon Christ. Take it for granted, not in the sense that, oh, it'll always be there and I'll get it when I want it. But take it for granted in this sense that if you come for it, you will receive it. If you trust Christ, you will find that his love simply envelops you. Because the the response of faith is itself a fruit of his love. You embrace it by resting in it and resting upon it. Sometimes people will say, how are you going to face this, that, or the other thing? I face it because my Saviour loves me. I move into this week confident that my Saviour loves me. He always has. He loves me now. He always will. Why should I doubt it? And why should I doubt then any of the expressions of it? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. You would not have thought that's a hard command to obey, is it? Abide in my love. And yet so often we struggle with it. Sometimes people say, I don't don't want the commands. The commands are burdensome. The commands are wearying. The commands are demanding. Command. Abide in my love. Love, That's a sweet command. That's a glorious duty. That's a precious responsibility, to embrace the love of Christ toward us. Then to express it, to express that relationship. Notice how it goes on. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, the parallels again. I abide in my Father's love. As my Father loves me, I've loved you. I'm abiding in his love. I want you to abide in the love with which I love you. How did Christ do that? It was by obedience. That was how he he demonstrated, expressed, and enjoyed his Father's love. You can go back to John chapter 8 and verse 29. (coughs) He who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for i always do those things that please him now we say that there are parallels without absolute equality can any one of us ever say i always do the things that please my savior no no i have sinned I have fallen short. I have not honored him as I should. I have not valued him as I might. And yet, still, this same Jesus himself establishes the parallels. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we enjoy that communion with him? It is by a cheerful obedience. And you know this by experience. I hope by happy experience and not simply by bitter experience. It is not that you are earning God's love. It is not that somehow you oblige Christ to love you by your obedience. But having been brought into the love of God by the Holy Spirit, standing in that love... How do you most express and appreciate that love? How do you lose it? How is it soured and cooled in your experience? It is by disobedience. And when do you enjoy a sense of God's presence and pleasure and nearness. It is when you are walking in the fear of the Lord. So abide In his love. Embrace it. Take God at his word. Take Christ at his word. Come to him for this love. Enter into this love. Receive what Christ holds out. And express that relationship. Express that abiding in his love by obedience. That it may be sustained toward you in your experience. And then enjoy that. Love, Abide in his love. Enjoy the fact that Christ loves you. Do you you enjoy the fact that you are the beloved of Christ? That's more than just accepting it, isn't it? More than just signing off to it. (coughs) More than just some orthodox acceptance of the fact. Do we... Embracing it, actually enjoy it. I can't remember which of the uh, the boys it was. One of the lads had a, a friend who I think went to some, I uh, think maybe Mediterranean country uh, over the, the half term break. Came back and said, I enjoyed the sea. Oh, did you? Yeah, 27 degrees. It's like a bath almost, isn't it? 27 degrees. Did you enjoy it? You don't need to ask the question. Of course you do. You you go in and the warmth laps around you and the water sustains your weight. Why do we deprive ourselves? Why do we doubt the love of Christ toward us? Why do we not rest in it? Why do we not revel in it? Do you appreciate what it means to be the beloved of God's beloved son what happiness is not bound up in that what security is left out of that what favor is absent from such a statement I'm not saying that there are no challenges to the enjoyment I'm not saying that there aren't times when by our own follies or even by the assaults of the wicked one, our present sense of that love can be in some way diminished or damaged. But do we simply enjoy being the beloved of Jesus Christ? Do you wake up conscious of the fact Or do you read your scriptures to remind yourself of the fact that the mediator has loved you? That you've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and his great love toward you? That you have a saviour who the closer he got to the fullest and final expression of of his love toward you, seemed to find that love not in any way diminished in him, no drawing back at that point, but rather a, a fuller, a richer, a more transparent and a more complete demonstration and declaration of his love. Do you wonder as you read through these chapters before coming to the cross, how much our Lord speaks of his love towards us. He is explaining beforehand, he wants the disciples to look at the cross through the prism of the love that he has for them and the love of the Father for him in sending him to die for our sins. We need to learn to appreciate what it means to live then in the love of Christ As the mediator that God has given, and as the savior for our souls. I try and preach a sermon like this, and I think I need to go back and start again. For who can understand these simple words? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. I have failed to communicate the least part of what this means. But I tell you something that we can now do. If we are God's people, we can come to the Lord's (laughs) Supper and we can say, there is much that I do not know, there is much that I do not understand There are many things that I do not feel as I should, that I do not see as I might. And yet I now understand at least some little more that what Christ did when he laid his life down for me on the cross was an act of love which has in it proper, real parallels to the love which his Father in heaven had toward him and that by coming by contemplating eating and drinking with faith gazing afresh upon the Christ who loved me and gave himself for me that I am made able by his spirit's work in me to abide in his love to embrace it here to express it even in obedience to our Lord's command, and to enjoy something tonight of the love with which he has loved me, a love which in itself has a parallel in nothing else but the love of the Father for his own begotten Son. Amen.